Will fucking eviscerates this guy. <laughs> this guy who doesn't have any time for shenanigans, tomfoolery, mm-hmm. or ballyhoo. I'm like, is this <laughs> Joe Biden's dad? <laughs> I'm Chris. I'm Amy. And you're at the movies with the madams. This week, we are headed up to Boston. And do you know what that means, Amy? With your hatred for Boston, I'm afraid to ask. Well, no, it just means that it's the most wonderful time of the year for many, many parents up in the Northeast. It's back to school week. (laughs) They're headed back, everybody. The monsters are heading back. Says the former teacher. Yes, so I know they are monsters. And happy Labor Day, everybody, a.k.a. happy day off for everyone who worked for the government in some capacity. Yeah, sure. I don't know what that is, so, okay, yay. (laughs) It's the unofficial last day of summer for those of us from the Northeast. Yes, because you schedule your seasons. Yes, well, it's a bittersweet time because it's usually a wonderful day, but at the same time, It's back to school the next day or a couple days later. Mm -hmm. So yes, today we are headed indeed back to school with Good Will Hunting. That's a good movie. It is. In which a Southie savant street tough, say that five times fast everybody, works through (laughs) trauma with a sympathetic Southie shrink to reach his full potential. I could not help myself. (laughs) I do love my alliteration. Of course you do. So this modern classic stars Matt Damon. Robin Williams. Stellan Skarsgård. Minnie Driver. And the Affleck brothers as themselves. Seriously, Casey as himself? Because he's annoying as fuck. Pretty much. Yeah, I wanted to smash him with with that hammer. (laughs) Yeah. When it comes to Chucky and Morgan, this is one of the few criticisms I have of this movie. I remember being confused as a kid watching this because this came out, I was about nine years old. So I'd been about Mm -hmm. 10 when it got on cable and I saw it. I remember thinking, wait, are Morgan and Chucky brothers? Because they obviously have the same face. I wish they had just let Morgan and Chucky be brothers or cousins because, I mean, we see their names Mm -hmm. are the same in the credits and the face, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of right there. In your face. (laughs) Yeah, and they have that annoying sibling relationship too. Yeah, yeah. We're going to talk a lot about relationships in this movie because that's what Goodwill Hunting really boils down to. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, so I'm wrong. Uh, The movie was actually released in 97, directed by Gus Van Sant. And like I said, this was very much a cable movie for me as a kid. And I didn't get it. How could I? I was like 10, 11 years old. I had Mm -hmm. no idea what was truly going on in this movie for a Mm -hmm. long time. Yeah, a a 10 or 11 year old wouldn't get it. That there's no, any kid wouldn't get it. No. It's understandable. If they did, they needed some serious therapy. Yeah. I do remember watching the Oscars. That was a Billy Crystal hosted Oscars when... These two Boston boys 
won the Oscar for Best Screenplay. It was pretty adorable at the time. I'm surprised you weren't seething. We'll get there. You are painting me in this light already that everybody's going to be like, is she going to be shitting on Goodwill Hunting? No, I am not. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll, let me clarify. Seething not because of the movie, but because of Boston. I know what you're talking about. No, no. I'm telling everyone else. Mm -hmm. And the movie launched the careers of both Matt Damon and unfortunately for many women, Ben Affleck. <laughs> But he looks good in this movie. He does. He's a good looking dude. There's no denying that. Yeah, I think this is the first time I've seen a young Ben Affleck. Maybe. I can't remember. Armageddon? Nope. That's a stay tuned, guys. One day. We will get to Mr. Bay. When she says this with such glee, I worry. Oh, as if you haven't done the same. Well, yes, that's why I worry. As if I don't know that I will one day feel the burden of Twilight. Oh, right. I need to add that to the list. <laughs> <laughs> so I hadn't watched this movie in quite a number of years, and it really changed for me this time. Mm -hmm. I realized that even when I was older, when I college age, and it would be on TNT, I never really watched it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was there. Like, you never really put your mind to it. No, I never took it in. And I understand now... It's because I was acting like Will. Mm -hmm. I had to keep this a very surface level movie, just going through the motions. And this time around, oh boy, did it make me uncomfortable at times. Mm -hmm. Because I just, like I'm sure, you know, many of us in our 30s and 40s now looking back, I just see some of the worst qualities of myself in all of these characters. Because Jesus, we're just... All the worst in college, aren't we? <laughs> My college experience obviously was much different than what yours would have been. I don't know. I was just too busy working to have the college experience, honestly. I mean, I was constantly working too, but I lived on campus. Mm -hmm. I hardly ever left my room. I went to my room to sleep and study. I went to class. I went to work. That was basically it. Right. So even I didn't have a true college experience because I did not allow myself to have that. Mm -hmm. And watching this movie as good as it is, and that's part of what makes it so good, is it brings all of that back and just slaps me in the face with it. Yeah. I think this is one of those movies that transcends the local culture and all of that. It does hold a mirror up to almost everyone in some way or the other. I agree. No matter which side of the line you fall on. Mm -hmm. And there's so many different other characters there that you could relate to, even if they're not the main character. Yeah, definitely. It also just made me sad to watch because it reminded me yeah. how much I miss Robin Williams and how yeah, much we were yeah. robbed and his family was robbed. Mm -hmm. And also how... God damn hairy he was. Jesus. <laughs> the man was a gorilla. Honestly, he's no different than a lot of men in my family. Okay. So it was pretty normal for me. I mean, he's wearing layers wherever he goes. There's a sweater as the base layer. Yeah, so the uh, eighth, eighth anniversary of Robin Williams 
death Jesus. was just a few days ago. And watching this movie, I found myself wondering if we could somehow create some kind of uh, universal swap system. Like, mm -hmm. can we trade maybe? Can we give the afterlife Woody Allen and take Robin Williams back? Yeah, I mean, he already does look like he has one foot in the grave. You know, might as well just give him a little bit of a push. Well, then it really got me thinking because I'm like, wait, we could really keep going with this. We could give the afterlife Amber Heard and pull back Carrie Fisher. <laughs> Think of who we could get back for Kevin Spacey or Army Hammer. You know, I've got something here. We could monetize this, too. Goodwill Hunting also reminded me of something I had really forgotten. And that's what a great actor Matt Damon is, truly. Yeah, he's really good in this movie. He is. Will is a total chameleon. He's a different person with each of his relationship groups. But at the core mm -hmm. of it, he's still this terrified little boy. Yeah. And the way he portrays it, it feels real mm -hmm. with each one. and. Aren't we all like that in some ways? Absolutely. It's human nature. Yeah. I mean, you and I would never talk to each other the way we talk to certain other people and vice versa. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. So uh, this movie did win two Oscars, as we already said. Best screenplay for Damon and Affleck. Very memorable speech there. And fucking finally, Robin Williams got his Oscar. Well deserved mm -hmm. for Best Supporting yes. Actor. Yes. Very well deserved. Yeah, it got a couple other nominations, too, uh, including Best Picture, Best Actress for Minnie Driver, and uh, Director for Gus Van Zandt. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. So Amy has alluded to my hatred of Boston. Do allow me to explain for those who haven't heard about this already, if you're new to the show. All right. Look, I wasn't always a nerd. I grew up a huge baseball fan, a Mets fan in northern New Jersey. I was a Mets fan. My father was a huge Yankee fan. I lived and breathed baseball growing up. When that's the case, it's in your blood. It's in your veins to loathe the city of Boston and anyone who hails from it. I will never be able to get it out of me. All right. You can take the girl out of Jersey, but you can't fully take the Jersey out of the girl, as my husband so often tells me. <laughs> you do realize that certain words that you say sound very... Similar to the way the Bostonians say it. We're not going to go there because people are stupid. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. And if anybody ever says to me again, when I say, no, no, I'm from New Jersey. And they say, are you sure? I will punch them in the face. I don't care if it hurts me more than them. I will do it. Okay. Now we're putting the pitchforks away <laughs> and getting back to this wonderful, relatively violence-free movie. Relatively violence-free. Are you kidding? How many brawls do we have in this movie? Two. There's plenty of violence. Yeah, well, compared to, like, superhero movies. Yeah, true. Yeah, so my hatred of Boston is both learned and genetic. Epigenetics are real, people. It's a real thing, and, uh, you know, sports rivalries get thrown in there. You tell yourself that. So I do have to suspend, you know, some of that uh, hatred going in. But also... The one thing that really just puts a heavy stain on this movie, this was a major Miramax production that has this unfortunate, disgusting stench of, of Harvey Weinstein all over it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And a couple hours ago, before we started, I actually looked up Robin Williams' acceptance speech, and he thanked Weinstein in it. And I'm like, oh, God, if he only knew, oh, he'd have spit on him. Well, that's the question, right? Who knew and who didn't? There was a lot of covering up. I desperately want to believe that a man like Robin Williams had no idea. Mm-hmm. Because I just do truly believe that if he had, he'd have done something about it. Okay. Because there were men who did. We know that. Brad Pitt was one of them. Right. Yeah. All right. So to give a lot of credit to Gus Van Sant, he really understood the importance of filming in Boston for this movie. Yeah. Filming where the movie is supposed to take place does lend a lot of authenticity to it. Yeah. I mean, not the whole thing, interior shots and whatnot, but the exterior, of course. the different locations, that's all really Boston. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And I'm sure Damon and Affleck had a big part in pushing for that. And Robin Williams did too. Okay. Yeah. It gives the movie a very authentic feel. And you have to be from the Northeast to really understand how important those locations are to getting the feel of things in, Mm -hmm. especially in any kind of like organized crime movie too. Right. Yeah. And I do really appreciate a Boston movie. With real accents and real vernacular, even if the slurs aren't a good thing, they're not, they're not supposed to be, (laughs) but they are accurate. Right, yeah. If you're sanitizing it, then it's not real. And this movie is about showing us a mirror. Yeah, I mean, hey asshole, what bitch? Yes, that is exactly (laughs) how they talk to each other. Mm -hmm. There's one exception to this, and I was actually... Pretty disappointed and surprised at this exception. Robin Williams tries, but he does not even come close to pulling off a Boston accent. Wait, he was trying? Yes. A Boston accent? He was trying, yes. Okay. And it's just surprising to me given what an incredible voice actor he was, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. I guess, though, that tells you how difficult it is to do also. Yeah, Sure. In all honesty, I really think I am accent blind. Sure, the accents were different in the movie compared to the neutral accents that we're used to. But if you ask me to differentiate between a Boston accent versus anything else, I wouldn't be able to tell you anything. And I wouldn't even know if one accent was different from the other. Well, yeah, I mean, you're not American. It makes sense. Sure, but different accents itself... I can't tell the difference between a Japanese accent and a Chinese accent. Okay. It's no, it's no different. Mm -hmm. I also think we have to give a ton of credit to those behind the scenes for Goodwill Hunting. The production design of these offices specifically is so good. Robin Williams's office. I want to be there. I want that office. That might be my favorite movie office of all time. Honestly. Yeah. It has such a lived-in feel to it, just like he does. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Lembo's is the same way. Very supportive of his general assholery. Yeah. <laughs> and the difference between his office and Sean's office, it's such a stark difference. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Yeah. That's the beauty of set design. It tells you who the character is before they've even had a chance to even speak. Yeah, and great job with these old hoopty cars, too. 
Yeah. <laughs> Those are true jalopies. <laughs> and I also appreciate the costuming of every single person here, especially mm-hmm. Will and Sean. Okay. If you watch Will throughout the movie, his clothes are repeated. And a lot yes. of his shirts, they're full of holes. Yeah. Yeah. And Sean, too, with his cardigans. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we got to let you know right away that Gerald Lembo is an asshole. So here's his scarf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these costumes do a lot of heavy lifting, but in a good way, in a supportive way. I wouldn't say it's doing the heavy lifting because it's enhancing the characters rather than telling us what to feel because it's the actors are giving a fantastic performance either way. Yeah. You know, if you have Robin Williams stark naked, he would still be exuding that same warmth that you feel as this character. That's not something I ever needed to picture. You did it on purpose. (laughs) Hey, and you don't need to worry about seeing anything you don't want to, you know, Harry. True. Yeah, I, I do appreciate the sweaters in that way. But I think there's that one Z where he's just in, in short sleeves. I'm like, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this movie really does stand the test of time, too. There's only one glaring thing about it that screams, hello, 1997. Which is? Matt David himself, who looks like he was the sixth guy who got cut from a boy band. <laughs> yeah the hair the hair was a bit distracting yes. yeah he chose the hair and he looks back upon it in horror as do we all matt <laughs> and like i said costuming fantastic for will and i mean the haircut it's what it was back then that frosted tip mushroom cut that's what that's what guys were doing that's what they thought looked good but yeah. i i do think they should have done something to gross up Matt Damon's teeth a little bit. That's the one thing about Will that's off is this perfect veneer smile. Like this is a kid who grew up in abusive foster care in, in Boston. He His teeth should be fucked. Mm-hmm. Now, before we really dive into the relationships in this movie, I have one question for you. Well, two, two really. Okay. One, do you think Ben Affleck still has that white tracksuit and Two, did he marry Jennifer Lopez in it? <laughs> I don't think he still has that tracksuit because he probably doesn't fit in it. But I would not be surprised if he bought a white tracksuit because the entire wedding was trashy as fuck. Okay, so we're agree he definitely did get married in a tracksuit. Possibly, yes. Okay. With some bling on it. Velour? I mean, it's Vegas, so it would have been pretty hot. So maybe not velour. Mm-hmm. He's not quite that classy. <laughs> <laughs> no something that's his definition of classy shiny satin jeez could you imagine trying to sit down in a satin tracksuit just be sliding all <laughs> over the place <laughs> so we're going to handle this episode a little differently kind of going through the movie in terms of the different relationship groups that we have mm-hmm. yes so we're going to start with Will and just going to call them collectively the boys, not to be confused mm-hmm. with Carl Urban and his boys. <laughs> Very different boys. So we have Will and Chucky, Ben Affleck, Morgan, Casey Affleck, 
And then the third guy whose name I, I do not recall, he doesn't really matter. Well, he doesn't have much to say either. No. No, he, I mean, he probably is preoccupied with, uh, you know, cleaning up the scrapes on his hands from dragons and knuckles across the ground, you know? You know, in fact, I think he's probably the smartest of them, aside from Will, obviously. Maybe. Yeah. So we see the difference in Will and Chucky right away. Will has ambition, while Chucky is content to drink his life away every night and eventually marry a woman who will tolerate him at best. Mm -hmm. He sees his life ahead of him and he has no problem with it. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to talk a lot about that kind of push and pull. But Will starts pushing right away. He's a janitor at MIT. And one day, Professor Lambeau puts a theorem up out in the hallway and challenges somebody to solve it. Yes. And Will is determined to solve it. He certainly is. Which he does. Yeah. He's... He's determined to do a lot of things, not all of them mm-hmm. good. <laughs> and we've talked about this movie making us both miss Robin Williams. Man, it also makes me miss the batting cages. Ah, I keep saying I'm going to go. There are batting cages two minutes away from me, and I just haven't made the time. Okay, well, now you should. So here is the first example of that camaraderie. In the script, in the chemistry on screen, Will looking at Chucky and saying, you think I'm afraid of you, you big fuck? (laughs) And I had to wonder, how many times had Matt Damon said that to Ben Affleck in their lives? Right, yeah. Yeah, because they're friends. Yeah, for better or worse, still friends. (laughs) And... It's the same chemistry with the Affleck brothers, too. Again, I'm wondering, like, how much did they even have to write this? And how much of it just happened between them organically? Or did they take from their own childhoods? Yeah, yeah, it's quite possible they did take a lot from their own childhoods. So something else we have that's also a thing more unique to the Northeast is the Irish and Italian and other kind of ethnic rivalries. Mm hmm. And these guys like Chucky and Morgan and Will, if he doesn't do anything about it, all these guys know how to do is to use their fists and put people down. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what we see them do. Yeah. They're acting like a bunch of Neanderthals. Mm -hmm. And it's intense with Damon here because you can clearly see how much Will both needs and enjoys this violence. Yeah. And you can see that at one point... It's not that guy who he's hitting. It's someone else in his mind. Definitely. Yeah. It's cause for concern. Mm -hmm. And we understand clearly, this is how Will feels powerful. Yeah. I think not just because of the abuse he suffered, but also as a guy whose best friend is way bigger than him and has probably Mm -hmm. fought a lot of his battles. Right. And there's so many great lines in this movie. Some are so poignant, but I had to... Pause the movie when Morgan looks at Chucky and says, you get canned more than tuna, bitch. (laughs) That is an amazing line. It really is. (laughs) I wish I had had a friend who was chronically unemployed who I could use that line on. And for a lot of reasons. And I'll go through them all. I find myself by the end of the movie very much reluctantly liking Chucky. 
yeah, Chucky. I mean, he, as you say, he's a Neanderthal, but he's a good guy. He has a good heart at the end of it. He's so damn proud of his friend. Mm-hmm. He's just tell, looking at everybody. My boy's wicked smart. Wants the whole world to know it. Yeah, he is. He is. He's proud of his friend and there is not an ounce of jealousy. No, no. It's a lovely relationship and great job by Van Sant showing Chucky picking Will up every morning. It's a great plan. Mm-hmm. It it means so much more at the end. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And again, credit to Affleck's performance. He gets me to like him. <laughs> ah. It kills me to feel that and to have to acknowledge a great performance. He had me cracking up when he plays Will at that interview. Yeah, that, I don't know, I'm conflicted about that. I was like, where did he get that suit? Yeah, well, you can clearly see that it's too short for him. (laughs) I mean, anything off the rack is going to be too short for Ben Affleck, and Chucky ain't afford more than that. Yeah. Obviously, when he's trying to scam these corporate idiots out of cash and succeeds because they have no street smarts whatsoever. I don't know. I think this was the one part of the movie that felt the most off to me because he should not have succeeded. Oh, I bought it. I bought it completely. Uh, He was talking nonsense. Keep in mind that Lambo would have talked this kid up to no end to these guys. They were offering him a position right then and there. Mm -hmm. And they've never seen the likes of this kid before. They're just going with it. They don't have any common sense. They don't have any street smarts. And they want him desperately. I absolutely believed it. They don't know this type. They don't know what people from Southie are like, so they're just going with it. Yeah, but they know what Chucky's talking about. The words that he's throwing around, they make no sense. I don't know. It just felt off to me. Like they should. He shouldn't have conned them quite so easily. But at the same time, it's fun to see. It is. And he's charming doing it. Cat. I don't know. I didn't find it charming. I found it annoying. Annoyingly charming. That's what I mean. Okay. I'm totally rooting for him in that moment, too. I wanted him to get more money than he did. He only got like $73. Yeah, I wanted him to get more money, too. But at the same time, it just felt wrong. <laughs> not, not, in the, not in an ethical sense, but just in the movie. It just... It felt like a movie. Yeah, I see what you mean. I, it worked for me, but I can understand it not working for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I say that I wanted him to get more money, but it's just going straight in Dunkin' Donuts' pocket. So maybe seventy-three dollars <laughs> is fine. <laughs> the thing about Chucky too is he may be stupid, but he's very self-aware. He's not stupid. He's average i i kept looking for a better way to say this because he's not stupid that's yeah he's he's just a regular guy and i agree with you he's self-aware he he knows himself and he knows his limitations as well and he knows what he's good at it's very sad for me though because he doesn't even want to try you know i think one of the best scenes in the movie is what I refer to as the best part of my day scene. Affleck gives a fantastic monologue here. Right. Yeah. And he's just like, I'll kill you. 
if you're still around in 20 years. He tells Will, you're sitting on a winning lottery ticket. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think you're right. This movie has a lot to say about living beyond the limitations we impose upon ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, about not being afraid to get out of your, your comfort zone. And Chucky's point is, I think, to some extent, what you owe your community. Correct. Yeah, that's exactly what he's saying. I just had a lot of respect for Chucky in that moment, for his honesty and for that self-awareness, for his honesty, because this is his best friend too. Yeah, it's his best friend. And the way Chucky is speaking, this is not something you expect from a guy like him. No. You know, what we saw all this time was just surface level. We finally saw the real Chucky. We didn't just see the dude. I can see you're having a hard time taking the name Chucky seriously. Yes. <laughs> so I was really trying to fight it by that point, trying to fight liking Chucky. But then, God damn it, those three idiots had to buy Will a car. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was a wow moment. Like, who? what kind of friends do that? I just wanted to put my arms around them all and hug them. Mm-hmm. They are idiots, no question, but they have some redeeming qualities. Uh, yeah, more than just some yeah. redeeming qualities. And that's the thing what Sean says about them as well. You know, the reason why Will is so attached to them is because they have that loyalty. Yeah. You know, they're family. And for Will, this is his family. And that's what, you know, Sean will try so hard and, and fail to explain to Gerald Lembo is that any of these guys would jump in front of a bullet for him. Right. Yeah. But that's not something that computes. No, you know? not at all. And I also love Affleck in his very last scene when he goes to knock on Will's door and he's not yeah. there. Mm hmm. His face says so much there. It's a mix of grief, sadness, and joy. Yeah. That's not easy to do. It's not. It's not easy to do. And for Chucky himself, like, I get why they did that in the movie because of the plant that they put in. And Chucky said that he would be extremely happy if Will wasn't there one day. But at the same time, you can't help but see that Chucky is disappointed that Will didn't even say goodbye. Of course he is. It's a bittersweet yeah. moment. Of course. And it's not like they'll never see each other again. We know they will. Mm -hmm. Yes, they have to. And then I do love how Morgan hops out of the car, jumps in the front seat, because he's like, I just moved up the friendship food chain. <laughs> I'm eating at the big kid's table now. Yeah, yeah. He's like a kid. Yeah, I think he's supposed to be about 18 because he's about two years younger than Ben. Okay. Yeah. No, then he should be about 19 because Ben is at least 21 since he's Because he's who's drinking. Been... Right. Okay. Yeah. So 18, 19. Mm -hmm. Still a kid in my book these days. <laughs> these kids are getting older and older. All right, so let's talk about Will and Skylar, played by Minnie Driver. She's great in this movie. I really like her. I didn't know she was British till I saw this movie. 
Okay. Yeah, I had never had any idea. I'd only ever seen her play an American. I have no idea who she is aside from in this movie. Okay. She'd been around. And she did get an Oscar nom for this. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I do have one issue with Minnie Driver's casting, though. She's too old for this part. She's playing 22. She actually was 27. But to my eye, and not in a bad way, she looks like she's in her 30s. Yeah, she certainly does look older than Will. Yeah, he pulls off young, Damon does. Yeah, he does. She does look older, but the chemistry is certainly there. Oh, absolutely. I love that Skylar's first words to Will are, you're an idiot. (laughs) Yeah, and that's great because it immediately sets the tone for the relationship that she's not intimidated by him or anything of that sort. Absolutely. And speaking of setting the tone there, Will does the same with her, trying to take control of the situation on their first date. He takes her to a novelty joke shop, Mm -hmm. trying to keep things nice and light, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Make jokes. Don't have to get into anything too deeply. Keep it all on the surface. Uh, Yeah. And that's his life's motto. And for a while, things go pretty well, but relationships progress. And eventually, Skylar wants more. Yeah, she does. And it's understandable. The thing that I love about this movie with regards to Skylar's portrayal, she's not portrayed as needy or annoying or the one who's asking too much. No, no. She's a normal person who is looking for a normal kind of commitment. Though, I push back a little, but then again, the age, so maybe it just kind of works. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Krista. Think you were married at twenty-one. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it fits for her. It's pretty quick that she wants him to move to California with her for grad school. Well, I get that because a what you said as well, and b she's an orphan as well. She's away from her home. She's in a different country, and she's fallen in love with this guy, and she wants to be with him, it's completely understandable. Yeah, I think the disconnect for me comes with Minnie Driver looking way too old. I just can't. Mm-hmm. It's the same problem you and I both had with uh, Amazing Spider-Man of trying to remember, oh, these right. are supposed to be teenagers, not 30-year-olds. Yes, yes. Well, that movie had its own problems as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Her offer, this whole idea of commitment, it, it's too much for Will. Yeah. I understand where he's coming from because she doesn't know how much she doesn't know. Yes, that's true. And in this bit of the movie, I associate with Will a lot. I see that. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I completely understand where he's coming from, even though it's not a good thing. And you want him to shut up and to stop being stupid, but... At the same time, he can't help himself. Yeah, he has no off button here. He's in total panic mode. He just assumes Mm -hmm. that if Skylar knows about all the abuse he suffered, knows what his life has really been like, that she won't want him. Which, because of everything that's going on in his mind, and because probably a lot of people have left after knowing everything, especially therapists, it's understandable. I see where he's coming from. Yeah. And, you know, I see it. 
in a third way that that Will is not yet emotionally mature enough to see. But he's right in that you can't take a huge step like that without being much more open, without sharing. And yes, absolutely. Skylar can't really see that yet, how much he's holding back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you said, we get where he's coming from, but it is unfair to just assume a person won't want you if they truly know about your past. It's insulting to them if you don't even give them the chance. If this is a person you think you love and that you, you've trusted and that has loved and trusted you, you have to give them the opportunity. But you're afraid of, the, of losing them. So why give them the chance? That's what the whole movie's all about, isn't it? Yep. That's where Sean comes in. Mm-hmm. And beyond a relationship with Skylar, Will is also just terrified to leave Boston. Yeah. It's all he's yeah. ever known. Yeah. It, this is his comfort zone. Yeah. And he's comfortable in this little pocket that he has. It's exactly what uh, Skylar says, that if he leaves... He knows that in his friend circle, like this is his place. And he has this knowledge in his mind that he's smarter than everyone else, even though he doesn't have to, quote unquote, to prove it to anyone. So it gives him that sense of comfort, that superiority, while not actually addressing any of his issues. But if he's out of this comfort zone, he will be completely exposed to everyone and anything that comes his way. And he will have to really struggle to make a place for himself. And that's not something that he wants to do because in order to do that, he needs to self-reflect and he can't do that. He's not ready to do that. Yeah. And he wouldn't have Chucky and the guys as a support system either. Yes. And he wouldn't recognize them as being that, but that's exactly what they are. Yeah. And Will also just can't handle anyone loving him because he doesn't believe he's worthy of it. She's smiling, everyone. <laughs> he doesn't know what to do with that love. So what does he do? He goes into defense mode and he breaks Skylar's heart before she can break his. Mm-hmm. Yes. In the process, he's breaking his own heart. There's too many homo losers, too many trimmers, but I like to watch them for rotten treasure. Hello, I'm Kai Bobby, co-host of the Rotten Treasure podcast, where I talk with my friend Jim O'Donnell and a special guest about movie franchises that arguably went on a little longer than they should have. Hey Jim, what movies do we review? Home Alone, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, Home Alone 3, Home Alone 4, Taking Back the House. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Home Jim, Alone, Jim, 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 Holiday Jim, Jim, Heist. We, we, we review more than just Home Alone movies. Tremors. Tremors 2, Aftershocks. <sighs> uh, do we have any guests? Do we have guests, Jim? Scott Campbell. Robert and Donnell from Watching It. Sarah Carter. <sighs> okay, uh, how do people find us on the internet, Jim? Follow us at Rotten underscore Treasure on Instagram. At Rotten Treasure on Twitter. Rotten Treasure okay, on right. Facebook. You know what? That, that's enough of your list. Um, so, folks, if you still want to find us, uh, you can listen to us on your preferred podcast app, uh, such as uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Podbean.com, Google Podcasts, Listen Notes, not SoundCloud.
Okay, so let's talk about Will and Dr. Gerald Lambo. Man, Stellan Skarsgård plays such a great asshole. He does, and he's so good at it. And at the same time, you can't help but remember him running around in his undies. <laughs> That's very true. Which is amazing. Now I have to wonder, any of you attend or have a degree from MIT and you're listening today, first of all, what are you doing listening to our dumbasses? But second, <laughs> please tell us, do they really clap at the end of classes at MIT? You know, I was going to ask you that. I thought, is that like an American thing or something? Definitely not. Okay. That might be, a, that's what I'm wondering. Like, is this a thing at Ivy League schools or is this a thing specific to MIT? I have no idea. I certainly never clapped yeah. for any professor in college <laughs> <laughs> or saw anyone else do the same. If any of you have studied at MIT or any of these Ivy League schools or know anyone who studied at any of these Ivy League schools, please tell us, how big are the professor's egos? Yes, I mean, is the clapping requirement, is it a course requirement in the syllabus? Minus 10 points for not clapping enough, <laughs> or vigorously enough. Oh, please do not use the word vigorous in this conversation about Lambo because he's disgusting. <laughs> he's hitting on his students. He is all kinds of puffed up about himself. I'm sure there are plenty of men just like him at MIT and other institutions. Yes, sure. Absolutely. He's a very believable Ivy League professor. Yes. And I love that they do it in a subtle way. Mm -hmm. They're not making him a cartoony villain. No. Which is a fine line with everything with him. It could have gone that way. Yeah. And everyone is just so believably human. So realistic. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I also really liked the diversity of Lambeau's class for a 1997 movie. Okay, whether sure. Whether it was representative of an MIT class at the time, I don't know, but I liked seeing it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And man, man, is Jerry just shocked when somebody proves that theorem, but doesn't cop to it. Mm-hmm, yeah. So what he does is he puts another one that it took the faculty two years to prove. And I'll be honest, I don't know what the fuck that means because I barely scraped by in geometry my freshman year of high school. <laughs> yeah, everything on those boards were just Greek and Latin. Yeah, my geometry teacher actually allowed us to cheat. She facilitated cheating. Why? I found out years later, she actually lived like right down the street from me. Uh, okay. Her daughter was a terrible student. And like barely graduated high school and only mm -hmm. was able to scrape by. She didn't want that happening to anybody else. So instead mm -hmm. of just being a good teacher, she let everybody just copy off of each other during tests. <laughs> I sat in the very back row because we sat alphabetically. So mm -hmm. I sat in the very last row and my friend James Literally during a test once, he sat in the very first row because he was a C name and I was a W. He got up during the test, walked back to me, wrote on my test, <laughs> and went back to his seat. And she just sat there. She would change stuff on our test. Look, we would go up to her and be like, well, she, oh, well that's not right. Here's, here's what you want to do. Write it in herself. Here you go. Hand it back to us. <laughs> 
Seriously? <laughs> Thanks, Mrs. Carter. I could say that. I'm sure she's long dead now. Maybe not. Ah, uh, she was pretty old. She was like 65. And okay. judging by her breath, I'm thinking there was already some decay going on. If I can still remember that woman's breath over 20 years later, no bueno. <laughs> wow yep okay wow that's not even the worst teacher i've ever had yeah i've had some pretty bad teachers too one of my teachers she was a bitch through and through she used to do tuition classes after school and she would pass all her students with flying colors and she would fail the rest of us she was terrible Mm -hmm. and she used to tell us like if you want to pass take tuitions with me you know that kind of thing yeah and she would like take the chalk and throw it at you if you said something wrong and things like that she was terrible i hated her yeah i had a teacher like that who threw a spatula once my cookie teacher but that was because she was menopausal and really didn't know what she was doing (laughs) was terrified of her okay yeah stay tuned later this month guys and i'll tell you about uh one of my drunken English teachers. That was a fun year. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> and there's so many great close-ups in this movie too. One of them is Stellan Skarsgård's face when he realizes it really is Will, the janitor, who solved the theorem. Mm-hmm. He can't believe it, which is understandable. Well, it's more than that. There's not just shock there. There's panic. Mm -hmm. and a little humiliation yeah like a janitor solved his problem yeah that it took the entire faculty team two years to prove Mm -hmm. and yeah oh he understands right away you can see the wheels turning in his head this kid is a threat but if i use him the right way i can turn him into my little puppet yeah that's what he thinks but at the same time if he just lets the kid be who would know he would yeah. And that's the thing. That's the thing for Lambo that he's going to struggle with is just knowing. Mm-hmm. So I think we get a brilliant bit of exposition here in the courtroom when we see Will acting as his own legal counsel. And that's how we get his rap mm-hmm. sheet. Yeah. Yeah. That's when we know that, okay, it's not just fun and games. This, this guy has been in serious trouble before. Yeah. And he is clearly upset to have his foster care history read out loud in open court Mm -hmm. and will doesn't have a gun on him he doesn't have a knife nothing like that but he wears armor nonetheless just constantly yeah every every smirk every insult everything is armor yes it's all calculated to attack damon just plays it beautifully every moment he does it's no surprise that Will refuses to meet with the therapist. This is a guy from Southie. He might as well wear a dress. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> well, nowadays, that might be more realistic. Not in Southie. <laughs> okay. Some places, some places do not change. Mm-hmm. You know, I know I rag on Texas and, and Florida and the South a lot, but there are still plenty of pockets uh, elsewhere in this country that have problems, which is just one of the reasons I don't live in the Northeast anymore and never will again. And two, Will sees through Lambo right away. This asshole treats Will like a pet doing tricks. Yeah, pretty much. He's a classic narcissist. He wants fame. He sees Will as his ticket to fame. 
Yeah, I agree 100%. And he wants to couch it in the terms that he's doing Will a favor. Of course. He is so magnanimous. Mm-hmm. You know, honestly, I think the most selfless person in this movie is fucking Chucky. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, true. He's willing to give up his best friend for his happiness. He pushes mm-hmm. him away. Yeah. He has no agenda. No. Just love. That's it. Yep. And man, this whole Will Lambo relationship really hit home for me. I mean, look, I didn't go to MIT. I, I'm no savant, but I identify a lot with Will in this movie, this whole relationship. I went through this in college. I had a professor, my, my department chair. He was not a bad person. I think he was, he was genuinely a good man, but he was a former hippie, boomer college professor. You know, Mm -hmm. he projected and he kind of took me under his wing in a nice way. He was very fatherly. And that was a big part of it for me because I had such a rocky relationship with my own father. Here was another Mm -hmm. father figure who was the complete opposite, who was so kind and calm and rational and reasonable, you know, (laughs) and I really let myself be pushed around by him in terms of my curriculum and the, some of the mm-hmm. classes I took and the independent study that I did. And I was also very grateful to him because he gave me a job too. I worked in my department as an office assistant. And I mean, he was a department chair. I took a bunch of classes with him. I was always around him. And he was definitely pushing me in some vicarious kind of ways not because he was looking for for fame like lambo but because he thought he knew what was best for me Mm -hmm. just like lambo thinks he knows what's best for will because it's half and half it's half vicarious fame and half i know what's best for you right yeah like an overbearing parent yeah yeah which is what i was so used to Mm -hmm. and you know who i really hate watching this friggin lambo's pa I hate this guy, this little sycophant. Yeah, this guy, this guy. I have questions. Yeah, yeah, it's the same question we had with Barbara Minerva, isn't it? Well, no, not quite. He, you know who he reminds me of? Who? He reminds me of Smithers. Rings a bell? Mr. Burns. Oh, okay. Mr. Burns' assistant from The Simpsons. Okay. Not quite to that extent, because obviously it's a cartoon, but this guy is always around they do these close-ups on him and this guy has barely like three lines in the movie that's the ivy league like hero worship this guy is a groupie Mm -hmm. and i'm sure lambo picked him for that reason right because he strokes his ego exactly whereas smithers wants to stroke mr burns but doesn't get a chance to do that well i think there's some of that going on here too baby yeah it's it's very confusing because he clearly idolizes him and worships him. And it's like, do you want to be him or do you want to be with him? Or both. The conundrum of every gay. But yeah, this guy, I just want to slap him every time I see him. Why? He's just there. That's why. Because he's so fucking useless. Go get a life. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it is, it is his job to be around this guy. 
which is a question. Why does Lambo need an assistant or any of these professors need assistance? Oh, they always have TAs because course load, it's, it's a lot. So TAs do a lot of administrative crap. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But this guy is there like everywhere. Why does he need to be there for Will's therapy appointment if Lambo's there? I mean, that's not got nothing to do with school or college. That's the point. He's a sycophant. This is what he does. Where Lambo goes, mm -hmm. he goes. He's his pet dog. <laughs> That's the next kind of emotional support animal, isn't it? The ego boost? Yeah, pretty much. Just think about it, though. If it were a woman instead of a man, how uncomfortable you'd be. Shouldn't be any different. Yeah, I agree. It probably would have hit home faster. But it's just weird. This guy, I mean, I couldn't get him. I just couldn't. I felt like they maybe cut off some of his lines or something with the way they were focusing on him so much. Mm -hmm. I don't see why they needed him to be there. It worked for me. I think that's the point of the movie. It's telling you, mm -hmm. showing you like, why is this guy here just for Lambo's ego? Right. That's why yeah. he's always there. It reinforces Lambo's character. That's what it he's does. there to do. I'm very glad in that way they cast a guy for it because he's only there in service of Lambo's character. Yeah, true. And also, Lambo wouldn't have missed an opportunity to hit on her if this dude was a girl. Exactly. And I just want to be clear, there was never any of that going on with my professor. He was a lovely man in that, <laughs> in that regard. He had a loving wife and, and nice kids. Yeah, there was none of that with anybody. Okay. Oh my God. The first therapy session that Lambo sets up for Will. <laughs> This made my day. <laughs> Will goes in there wielding his intelligence and his ability to read people like a scalpel. Mm -hmm. Whereas this therapist is so underqualified. He's basically just mirroring what Will is saying in order to try to make him open up. Will fucking eviscerates this guy. <laughs> <laughs> this guy who doesn't have any time for shenanigans, tomfoolery, mm -hmm. or ballyhoo. I'm like, is this Joe <laughs> Biden's dad? <laughs> and two, very typical for Will's type, he attacks this guy's sexuality. Yeah, I was worried when the first time I watched the movie, I was like, oh, what is he going to say? But again, though, it's accurate. This is what that kind of guy does. And he's also right, I think, or the therapist would have just told Lambo the truth. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that the therapist calls his patient a lunatic, not a good sign. Exactly. Methinks he doth protest too much. <laughs> no, I mean, clearly when, as soon as Will said, how are you comfortable hiding the fact that you're gay or whatever it was, the way he was reacting to it told you everything. Yeah. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. I know, buddy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and the second therapist is a carbon copy of Lambo. Mm-hmm. Well, he's the hypnotist. Yeah. That's a big reason Will pushes back. No puffed up asshole like this is going to work for him. Yeah. And come on. Hypno hypnotherapy, that's bullshit. This isn't the case for everyone, but for Will... Definitely, he needs somebody who understands where he comes from. 
Yeah, and also he needs somebody to see through his bullshit, which nobody has been able to so far. Yeah, somebody who will challenge him. Mm-hmm. And who, in a way, is as smart as he is. Yeah, true. And what Damon pulls off so convincingly is Will knowing he's full of shit about not needing therapy. He knows damn well he needs it. I don't know. I think part of him believes that he doesn't need it and wants to believe that he doesn't need it. That's it. He wants to believe he doesn't need it, but he has enough self-awareness and intelligence to know he desperately does, but nothing in this world terrifies him more than vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Yes. And again, what does Will do here when he is threatened? He goes on the attack. Yes. Which he's done with all of them and succeeded, except for Sean. And Will destroys Lambo too. And he fucking deserves mm-hmm. it. I don't feel sorry for him at all when Will tosses all that paperwork in the fire. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we said, he's not setting up these meetings for Will. He's showing off his pony here. Yeah, pretty much. And he's building up his influence by getting Will a job somewhere. Yeah, collecting favors and contacts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I also do have to agree with Lambeau. To a point, it is wrong to project. It is wrong to push people into things they truly don't want to do. But he's got a valid point about wasting your gifts. Yeah, true. He that's the thing about Lambo. He's an arrogant prick, yes, and he's in it for his own reasons, but what he's trying to do is inherently better someone's life. You can't fault him for that. Mm-hmm. It's his execution that's the problem. Yeah, and if it wasn't for him pushing Will so much, he wouldn't have ended up having the breakthrough with Sean at that time. It probably would have happened later. It, it was Lambo's pushing that really helped as well. There is a small part of me that overall, not necessarily in the scene, but because he deserves what he gets here, but I do pity him when he looks at Will Mm -hmm. and says, most days I wish I never met you because then I could sleep at night. Like, dude, you're a brilliant MIT professor. Why do you need more than that? Why do you still perceive yourself to be inadequate? And that's where he needs therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. And which is the reason why he has such a strained relationship with Sean. Because, yes, Sean, according to Lambo, is a burnout and all of that. He's not as successful as Lambo. But for all intents and purposes, he seems content with his life. Or at least was before his wife died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is something that Lambo hasn't experienced and cannot experience. Yeah. In that regard, I think Sean is the most powerful person in the movie. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because he commands the most fear. Right. Because both Lambo and Will are terrified of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to his credit, this is a stockier Robin Williams in this movie too. He's got some old man strength happening. (laughs) Yeah, true. He's not taking Stellan's car's card. No way. But I think he could take Damon in this if he wanted to. If he really wanted to. If he really wanted to, sure. And he could land a few good punches. Yeah. On Stellan's car's card. I mean, they'd be in his gut. 
because that's, I think, as far as he could probably reach. <laughs> yeah, so God, and then he hunches over and then, you know, knock him out. <laughs> and then he calls his sons and Robin Williams is fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I totally get where Lambo's coming from. It's so hard to watch somebody waste, especially somebody you are invested in in some way and somebody you care about just waste mm-hmm. their abilities or their talents yeah, away. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, even though you're seeing someone waste their potential, it's not on you to push them to do something they're not ready for. I will say this, and I think it's different in a marriage. Okay, yeah, sure. When it comes to marriage, there are responsibilities in that way. No, no, no. I'm not speaking about a marriage. I'm talking in a general sense. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say marriage, at least for to me, is the only exception to that. Okay. And that's where I give Chucky so much credit. Like we said, is because he's taken a big risk there, pushing his best friend away. Sometimes we have to be willing to tell people what they don't want to hear for their own good. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if you're not willing to be honest, then it's not a real relationship, is it? No. No, and that's what Will will come to understand. Mm-hmm. So let's dig in here to Sean and Lambo. I love Sean. I love this character so much. Yeah. Robin Williams is just amazing. He's something. There are not enough words. Sean is the bridge between these two worlds, between the marble of the Ivy League and, you know, the pebbles of working class Southie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's so much between these two. There's a lifetime. You can see it in every word between them, in their body language. These two go back a long way. Yes. And again, it's done so well that you can see the history as soon as they meet, but it's not overpowering. No. We understand there's a long history that these guys, at least at one point in time, were friends. Mm -hmm. Close friends. Yes. But it seems like the big rift, the straw that broke the camel's back and changed everything was that Jerry didn't show up at the funeral when Sean's wife passed away. Mm -hmm. And I think Sean's level of hurt on that tells us how deep their relationship goes. Know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And it's clear Sean is the last person that Lambo wanted to come to about this. Yeah. Which is why he went to all those other weirdos first yeah he knew all along sean was right for this yeah and also with lambo considering his mindset he probably would want to go for the best of the best on paper you're absolutely right and he's also a coward yeah that's true i think this is the first time he and sean have seen each other face to face since sean's wife died Mm -hmm. so he doesn't want to face him and deal with that because he's ashamed of himself Right. And this tension just simmers between them the entire movie, this unspoken animosity. Yeah, which finally comes to a boil with Sean defending Will. Eventually, yeah. Mm -hmm. And these two clearly disdain each other's worlds. Very much so. Yeah. Even though they started off more or less from the same point their friendship started off as they were roommates Mm -hmm. 
and the arrogance of Lambo in these first scenes with them. This asshole thought he was going to stay and sit in for the first therapy session. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no wonder it wouldn't work. You know, just having someone there sitting there while you're in a therapy session expected to open up and be vulnerable. There's no way that's going to work. Of course not. And it's against the law. True. And not just Lambo, but his assistant, Tom, I think his name was. I don't remember. Smithers. Let's call him Smithers. Sure. And it burns Lambo throughout the whole movie that he doesn't know what's going on in these sessions. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Sean's intelligence, intellect and emotional intelligence just shines through in every scene. I love this meeting they have at the bar. Mm-hmm. This is purposely on Sean's turf. And there is so much going on in this scene. Yeah. Just meeting at this bar in Southie, he is forcing Lambo out of his comfort zone. And, mm-hmm. and Lambo fucking knows it, which is why he was nervous to go to Sean in the first place. Yeah, that's true. And also the fact that this scene came immediately after the scene where Will and the boys are meeting Skylar for the first time. Yeah. And it's a similar setting. In fact, like the same peanuts, the beer, a different bar, but similar vibe. Yeah. You know, it really tells us so much about how similar these two guys are. Yeah, Sean has all the power in this relationship, which drives Lambo insane. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. He's uncomfortable just being there in that bar. You can see how off balance he is. And Sean doing this on his turf is also like a symbolic way of protecting Will. Yes, it is. And also it is to put Lambo on the defensive so that it's easier for him because he knows Lambo has an agenda over here. Of course. Yeah. Sean is the one looking out for Will's best interest not Lambo. Mm-hmm. And at least, you know, Lambo admits I'm nothing in comparison. Right. Yeah, he is. And and that's what's killing him. It is. Yes. So he's essentially thinking if he can't be that good, he can ride on, on Will's coattails. Yeah. Like he doesn't know how to live in this world knowing that this kid exists now. Mm-hmm. It's right. completely upended his life, which is p- pretty pathetic. Like, this is a guy you, you know, if, if we would have gone to Lambo's apartment, there would be tons of trophies and awards up, but like not a single picture of a family anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he's married in, in the movie. Oh, I'm betting he's divorced. I'm going to bet there's okay. a couple divorces there. Because <laughs> okay. no woman would put up with that shit for too long or the cheating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm betting he's writing minimum two alimony. I'm going to say solid two alimony checks every month. Okay. If we ever interview Stellan Skarsgård, we will ask him what does he think of that character and how many alimony checks is he writing? I would love to hear his answer to that question. (laughs) And I feel so bad for Sean here because I know what it's like to try and deal with somebody like Lambo, you do too. Somebody who's so wrapped up in themselves. He's trying to mm-hmm. get it across to him. Maybe he doesn't want what you want. Yeah, and, it's like talking to a wall. Yeah. Hell, even a wall can break in, over time, you know? But 
non-Lambo. Okay, now for the main event. Let's dig in here to Will and Sean. I might, I might get a little misty. Okay. It's some parts here, honestly, because I did tear up watching the movie this time around. Yeah, I was expecting to tear up, but I didn't. So right away, we see how intuitive Sean is. He uses books as his in with Will Mm -hmm. in in that amazing office. (laughs) I mean, with that office, how can you not have an in except for the books? Yeah. It's the books. And Will clearly is much more interested in Sean than any of the other therapists. Yeah, well, initially he started off because he's trying to get under Sean's skin. And I love the way he does that. And this is just brilliant writing. I'm going to give Damon most of the credit on that. I just can't bring myself to give Ben Affleck too much credit on the script. I can't. Is that I love the way that in this case, Will attacks Sean's office. Not him directly like he did with the other therapist. I think... Mm -hmm. He has the awareness of, oh, this guy's different. I need to tread a little lighter here. And he's afraid Mm -hmm. to kind of go at him directly, you know? Yeah. And also, I think that with the other guys, he immediately saw the flaw. Like with the first therapist, the fact that he was a closeted gay man and he read his book. Whereas with Sean, he never read his book. And at the same time, when he met him, he wasn't immediately able to get a read on him so he's kind of essentially just circling around him like uh, like a tiger around his prey so he's starting from the outer circle and just pushing pushing to see what is the weakness so that's how he's going yeah it's very much a chess match every scene between these two and will is just Mm -hmm. will is just as skilled at reading people as sean is and i think that's i think that's a big part of how he survived to this point Yes, absolutely. That's one of the side effects of trauma, for better or for worse. Yeah. So he looks at Sean's painting and says he's one step away from cutting his ear off. Mm-hmm. And Sean knows he is not wrong. <laughs> yep. And it takes one to know one. So... Will sees Sean's defense mechanisms right away Mm -hmm. and takes a step too far. Yeah. Let me tell you something. In in my life, I was never afraid of of Robin Williams in any performance, but I was this time. Okay. He looked like he could have killed this kid. Mm -hmm. And Will knew it. Damon's eyes just pop out. Yeah. Oh, shit. I fucked up. Yeah. Yep. Abort. I went too far, but there's also some respect in there for the way that Sean reacted. Yeah, because that's the language he knows. Exactly. That's the language that Will understands. Mm -hmm. So by Sean getting physical with him, he's showing Will that he knows because he's like him in some ways. Yeah. And oh, I don't think Sean was thinking about it in that regard. I think he just reacted. In the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's what Will sees and recognizes, oh, we're the same. Yeah. And man, it is not easy to surprise Will Hunting, but Sean definitely did. Mm-hmm. 
And it's this moment when Will leaves that we understand what an excellent therapist Sean is because 99% of therapists would have written Will off right then and there. Yeah. Instead, Sean tells Lambo that he wants Will there once a week. Yeah. And it breaks my heart, this whole movie, the grief that just surrounds Sean's entire being. It's like a part of him, just like his sweaters, that he's still wearing his wedding ring after two years. It kills me. It is. And I think that is Robin Williams's performance and just Robin Williams himself. I don't know why, but I've seen a couple of his movies. And in fact, even in the movies where he's not supposed to be sad or, you know, just a happy comedy kind of thing, even when you're just belly laughing at his jokes and he's laughing himself, you can see it. He's enjoying himself. There is always, I've always felt like there's this sense of sadness to him. Yeah. Like his eyes are just have, were always just so sad. Sad clown syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always found such warmth and kindness in his face. Yes. In general, there's something about Mm -hmm. his smile, you know? Yeah. True. That man truly could light up a room. He could, but there was so much darkness inside him. And I'm not saying in an evil sense, but just, just the sadness. Yeah. And another way we see, we see Sean's skill here is when he gets Will out of the office. Mm -hmm. He knows like any great therapist that defense mechanisms drop easier when you take someone out of a triggering environment. Mm -hmm. And a therapist's office is definitely a triggering environment for a lot of people. (laughs) Yeah, true. Very clinical space. Well, Sean's case, the office wasn't a very clinical space. It's still a therapist's office, put it that way. True, yes. And man, this is one of the best, most tightly written monologues you'll ever hear. And Mm -hmm. I don't know how Matt Damon wrote this. I don't. I don't know how him and Ben Affleck wrote all the Sean's dialogue and wrote that character at their age i truly don't know how they did it it's just brilliant the way sean reads this kid and wisely admits how much will made him think he gives him that credit he builds him up gives him that credit you rocked my world and Mm -hmm. then he destroys him And it was necessary. He had to break that shell. That's what he broke. He didn't break his core. He broke his shell. Yeah. That was the first step. Right. And only Sean could do that because Sean's from Southie too. Mm -hmm. And he's absolutely right. Will has not lived. This is exactly what you were saying in our episode on the Batman about Bruce. Right. Yes. And it's not like a humiliating way that will is destroyed it's a humbling way yeah sean is not trying to humiliate him he's trying to tell him you think you know but you don't you haven't lived you're pretending to be an adult yeah but you're not yeah he says i see a cocky scared shitless kid Mm -hmm. that hits us all where we live you know yeah and i cried watching this monologue this time 
And the way he just ends it, your move, chief. Mm -hmm. And this park bench in Boston, um, it became a real memorial to Robin Williams after his death. Yes. Oh. People just went there and started leaving things. Mm -hmm. And guys, if you would like to reminisce with us about Robin Williams, head over to our Patreon, links in the show notes. For our first installment of The Gump Files next month at our $5 patron level, we will be doing an episode remembering Robin Williams. And I'll cry on that one too. (laughs) And aside from his intuition and intelligence, the thing I admired most about Sean is his patience. Yeah, sitting there for an hour, week after week, waiting for someone to speak is no joke. And I can understand him nodding off a bit. But Sean here has the patience of a saint. He knows he cannot give in. Yeah. And he's got nothing to lose. Yeah. Well, initially I was concerned about the money being wasted. Then I realized it's all free. Yeah. So, so I chilled out after that. Yeah. There's just every sign that these two are perfect for each other because Sean just gets him. It kind of reminds me of what happened with uh, my own therapist currently. When we first started talking, it was, it's a, we do it over Zoom. She could tell I wasn't from Maryland originally. And she asked me where I was from. And as soon as I said Jersey, her first question response was, what exit? And that's how I knew it was going to work. She said the secret code word. (laughs) And I also love the way that Sean opens up to Will about his own life. In this Mm -hmm. case, it was necessary. Yeah, absolutely. It's a give and take. Yeah. He had his own Chucky. Yeah, true. Yeah. Sean had his own group of buddies, but he had to go see about a girl. Mm -hmm. And I know you don't, you were probably just flummoxed by will's reaction here but i totally get it i totally get the rage and shock that will has hearing that sean just pushed that ticket away oh my god there's nothing in heaven or earth that would have kept me from going to that game that would have kept me from going to like (laughs) see the mets play the red sox in in 1986 had i been born or Mm -hmm. uh go into the subway series in 2000 i was at uh, a Mets Braves NLCS game in uh, 1999 that they won, but they ended up losing <sighs> losing the series. That wound is still raw. And shall always be, no matter, even if I haven't paid attention to baseball in 15 years, it's still there. <laughs> well, no, I get it. Like, I understand wanting to be there at an epic moment. Obviously not baseball specific, but I get it. I understand. But for Sean, meeting his future wife was the most epic moment of his life. Yeah. Yeah. And that's very important for Will to hear. And it's it's also just the idea of realizing that there are lots of other things that are important outside of his Boston bubble. I mean, this mm-hmm. is a kid that like geographically, he's never left a five or six square mile radius. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and that's something I think we talked about throughout our coverage of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, 
was that what life would have been like for Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes growing up, not leaving that that super poor, just few square blocks, you know, mm-hmm. and what it's yeah. like growing up in that culture. Right. And not being exposed to anything beyond that. Yeah. And Sean also hits on something really important. Will's choice to work at, of all places, MIT. Yeah. Like what he says is true. Will could have been a janitor anywhere, but he chose MIT for a reason. Deep down, subconsciously, he knew he wanted more for his life. But his defense mechanisms and his inability to go beyond his comfort zone is what was pushing him to stay where he was. Yeah. Yeah. And there's more to that than just reaching one's potential. We'll get to that in a minute. Mm -hmm. So Will had to try and be more like on the DL. Right. Yeah. It's also because part of him wants validation from this higher world, a world that he thought till now he had no hope of ever being a part of. Mm-hmm. Yet at the same time, afraid to join them because he doesn't think he belongs. And yet when Chucky asked him what happened with the hearing, Will lied to him. Mm-hmm. He told him he needed court mandated therapy for twice a week. Of course he did. Yeah. As opposed to telling Chucky that he was actually working with a professor at MIT. Yeah. Because I can imagine what Chucky would have said to him. <laughs> And I think because Will also was afraid of what Chucky might say. Yeah, but here's the thing. Chucky would have probably been happy for him. Yeah, and that's what Will would be worried about. Mm -hmm. As they progress, Sean asks Will a very simple question. But I think it is one of the hardest questions for any person to answer. Yep. That question is? What do you want to do? Yeah. What do you want? So simple, but oof, that's a tough one. It is. And it scares Will. He doesn't know what to do with that. So what does Sean do? Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out, kiddo. (laughs) He's not letting Will bullshit around anymore. No. He knows exactly where the line is. He knows exactly when to push. Yeah, I love the fact that he calls a bow beep. (laughs) (laughs) That's Robin Williams. Yeah. Yeah, so that's (laughs) one of the reasons you cast him. Mm -hmm. And now we come to what I think is the best scene in the movie. It's a cliche. It gets made fun of, but there's a reason for that. Because, oh man, this, this really got me. It's not your fault? Yeah. So this is Sean's ultimate challenge, and he knows that Will is finally ready for this. We come to the crux of all his issues, and that's his self-worth. Him Mm -hmm. blaming himself for all of the abuse that he suffered. Mm -hmm. Do you think, based on his reaction, do you think Robin Williams knew that Matt Damon was going to shove him that hard? It seems like it was a surprise. I don't, maybe he knew he was going to shove him, but not quite so hard. Yeah. He really did look genuinely surprised and nervous. And I wonder if it was just one of those things where like, just kept real, keep going, keep rolling. He stayed 
in his face, locked his arms down. And it was so intense. Mm-hmm. And he just pushes him with, it's not your fault. And I was crying yeah. by the third, it's not your fault. <laughs> I think this is probably the first time Will ever cried, not from physical pain. Right. Yeah. And in front of someone. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And more than that, I love the look on Sean's face here as he's holding this sobbing kid. And this is why you cast him. The pure love and kindness on Robin Williams's face here, the joy Mm -hmm. and relief, like finally, it was all worth it. Yeah. All this time, all the up and downs. This is Will's first moment of true intimacy with another person. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because everything with Chucky, and I'll say Chucky specifically, because that's who he's really closest with. Mm -hmm. There's vulnerability there, but it's all unspoken. It's all unsaid because they know each other so well. Mm -hmm. They know each other's bullshit. They don't even have to say it to each other. It's telepathic. Right. Yeah. And I cry too when their last meeting, they both thank each other. Mm -hmm. Yes. Do what's in your heart, son, and you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) It's what he says after when Will leaves, when Sean says, good luck, son. That got me. Because you know, these two haven't seen the last of each other either. Mm -hmm. And when he calls him son, Man, he means it. Yeah. Sean is a man who says what he means. Yes, true. Okay, so now we will get into some of the larger themes of the movie. And I think the first big one is, this is a general coming-of-age tale. I suppose so, yes, in a way, yeah. This is a boy becoming a man. Mm-hmm, yeah. But in a very different way than we're used to, as a coming-of-age story. As a movie, maybe, but for me, yes, as a movie, for me, culturally, I related a thousand percent. Mm-hmm. Will's takedown of the guy I will refer to as Bardouche, Mr. Ponytail, <laughs> is mm-hmm. just epic and it's awesome, but it was so painful for me to watch. Why? Because I was Bardouche. At one time, <laughs> not bar douched. I don't know, dorm room douche because I didn't go to bars. I mm-hmm. still don't go to bars. But I was that person who just had to show everybody how smart I was all the time. Yeah, we would not have been friends at that time. No, there's a reason I didn't really have many friends. Like I said, I can mm-hmm. look back on this now and know that everybody was awful back then, but we still cringe at ourselves. Yes, we do. And I totally relate to Will and Chucky's feelings about the college kids, because that's part of Will's problem, too, is envy and disdain and all these mixed Mm -hmm. up feelings coming from his background. So I went to college in the same state, only an hour from home, but it was a totally different world. And the other kids made... Sure, I understood that I did not belong there. Kids there overall, I was a scholarship kid. And uh, 
most of the kids there living on campus were much wealthier, uh, came from nicer areas of Jersey and Pennsylvania. I even got made fun of for my accent in the same state. That's just weird. Yeah, and not just by students, by university employees. <laughs> okay. And even now at 35, that's something I've only really just been able to shed is that straddling of those worlds of what I came from and what I want to be, knowing that what I came from doesn't have to be what I am, or I don't have to be ashamed of it, or I don't have to stay, that I'm allowed to change, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's part of growing up in the household that I grew up in, but it, it really hit me hard on this watch. Yeah. This is something that is alien to me in, in, in many ways. I've never had that dichotomy per se in my life. I mean, I've been in school with all sorts of uh, kids coming from different backgrounds, different parts of the country and all of that. But there was never this like us versus them kind of thing ever. It's something that I, I, I have a hard time understanding. And also at the same time, it's also me because I don't see what the big deal is. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's that's partly what this movie is trying to say. Mm -hmm. And I think with this script, Damon and Affleck, ironically for Affleck, did an amazing job just completely indicting toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. Goodwill Hunting is a huge endorsement for therapy and personal yes. growth and dealing with your shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that you have to deal with your shit. Otherwise, you're just going to keep spiraling. Yeah. And there's so much push and pull with that whole concept. Like, okay, so we have Chucky and Morgan. Morgan is definitely an idiot. There's no question. He is an absolute <laughs> moron. And we have them. They're these typical, like, Boston womanizers. Yeah, they act kind of gross towards women, but it's Southie in 1997. It's totally accurate. And who would know better? Who would know better than how to act in that regard? <laughs> mm -hmm. So I don't know how I feel about Chucky hitting on that woman in the bar. So half of me thinks she's way out of your league. And half of me thinks that the class divide shouldn't matter. Right. Yeah. So the issue for me is Chucky has no ambition to better himself. But my question is, is it because he thinks he's hopeless? Or because he thinks he's good enough the way he is? That's an interesting question because I feel like a part of him believes that it's hopeless. Maybe he was the kid in school who was great at sports or something like that, but not the greatest when it came to studying. I think that's fair looking at him. Yeah. And Will was the opposite over there. And that's kind of how they came to be friends. So maybe for Chucky, it's just this is me, you know, I know I'm not going to be some hotshot ever. Yeah. I don't know. He's a surprisingly complex character in this movie mm -hmm. because then yeah. we also have the issue of, is he intentionally holding himself back because he disdains that other world so much? 
because he feels he has to remain. He's from Southie. He has to remain that forever. This is what his family is. This is who he is because I come from a family that thinks like that. I was raised by a man who thinks that way, that I wasn't allowed to ever be more, to be better than him, to have Mm -hmm. more ambition to better myself. And there's a lot of that kind of thinking in that area of the country. Sure. But I don't think that's the case with Chucky. Like he said so himself. Like I don't have an opportunity, but you do. So go for it. If he thought that way, that you should stay where you are and not change and get and better yourself and all of that, he wouldn't have pushed Will at all. In fact, he would have shat on him. Yeah, I just, I find myself feeling sorry for Chucky that he doesn't think more of himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do think that Bardouche is the true asshole here, not Chucky. Because Chucky's being charming in his way. He's being playful. He knows he's full of shit with these women. That's the big difference. Yes. yes. And the women know that too. Yeah. He's playing it in a way that he's telling them that I know I'm full of shit, but I'm just going to play along. And why don't you play along? Yeah. I'd much rather spend an evening with Chucky than with Bardouche. And so would Skylar. Clearly. Yes. I wouldn't go home with him, but I'll let him entertain me for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, this is also Boston. A rough area, Boston. You know, you got to watch yourself out there. Bardouche, he's going to take off at the first sign of trouble. Chucky's going to protect you. <laughs> and Chucky's six foot four with, with shoulders a mile wide. So you're good. Mm-hmm. And I cannot believe I am saying this. Truly. But I also... Oh, okay. Okay, Krista. Keep your, keep your lunch down. I do not believe that Chucky... Chucky would ever get inappropriate with a woman. He's not that guy. Do we need to take a break? (laughs) I know, it hurts. It hurts me as much Mm -hmm. to say as it hurts you to hear. Yeah, I don't know. Um, No comment. He's just too good. He's too honorable, you know? I can't see him forcing himself on a woman. Or even, honestly, I don't know if I can see him even cheating on a woman. Seeing how much compassion and kindness and love he has for his buddy. I think he's a guy who might joke about it with his buddies, putting up that veneer mm-hmm. of, of cheating on a woman, but I don't think he ever actually would. Okay. And I think there's also a lot to be said here for the whole concept of college and higher education. In what sense? Well, in the U.S., it's become insane. The cost the competition, the stress Mm -hmm. of getting in. Far too many people in the U.S. go to traditional four-year colleges. It is unnecessary. We need more people in trade schools. Yeah, like a a degree has become a default for everything. Yeah, I met so many people in college who had no business being there whatsoever, who were just taking up space. Again, I'm coming from this from an outsider's perspective, but I hear some people who were doing degrees and masters in something that will never, ever make money. And they spend tons of money on it. And I don't understand why would they do that? Yeah, I mean, it depends. And there are plenty of people out there who have money to burn 
but the whole system mm-hmm. is just broken. Right. Yeah, and we'll be talking more about that uh, that SAT system in an upcoming episode this month, guys. So stick around to hear me rant on that a little bit more. <laughs> and I do want to discuss another one of my favorite scenes here: the apples. <laughs> and this is another great way to show the divisions in this part of the country between the upper class and working class. So growing up in Boston, guys like Will and Chucky, they don't have much direct experience with the academic types. Nonetheless, Mm -hmm. there's constant competition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because those worlds clash eventually. Right. Yeah. And both sides feel emasculated by the other in different ways. Yeah. And it's, it's ridiculous. Put your dicks away, guys. Put them away. <laughs> Sheath them. <laughs> so on one side, we have power in the form of money and privilege and intelligence. And on the other side, it's brute strength, size, and the ability to hold one's liquor. <laughs> well, to be fair, that could go either way. Even the academic types have capacities. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. But my money's on Affleck in that situation over Bardouche. Well, yeah. Yeah. Sure. We all know what his liver looks like. Non-existent? Not good. hmm And yet, even as a kid in middle school, I understood this dichotomy and felt it every day. So I don't know what it's like uh, elsewhere in the country, how early this started, you know, to what extent, but we were tracked in middle school and high school. So we were each... So we were divided into uh, honors classes and then a high class. And then I forget what the other classes were called, but everybody knew like if they were in the dumb kid class or the smart kid class, you know, and there are a lot of pros to this, but from an emotional standpoint, that can be a difficult thing for a kid. And it creates exactly what we see in this movie, the bitterness between both sides. And I always felt super weird in the honors classes in middle school because there were very few kids from my elementary school, from my side of town, the poor side, in those classes. Meanwhile, there was one school that was like the furthest north and they were the wealthiest kids. Nearly every child from that graduating class was in honors, whether they belonged there or not. Mm -hmm. It was ridiculous. Yeah, so that has more to do with the fact that people are put in honors classes because of the size of the donation they can make. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so their parents I, can make. Yeah, same thing, you know, with Ivy League education. Not saying that they're not saying that people who get in don't belong there. Many, many do. Um, mm-hmm. But the system is broken. Right. So, yeah, I definitely relate to Will and Chucky here because I envied those kids big time, those kids who. I was just as smart as, if not smarter, but they had nicer clothes and they had all the school supplies that they needed and they would be buying all kinds of stuff at lunch that, you know, I didn't have the money to do. And I remember the big thing being uh, book socks too. I don't know if those things are still around, but they used to be able to buy the cool supplies and they would have book socks to cover their books, these little fabric covers. Whereas every year I had to use paper grocery bags to do mine 
So there was just like mm-hmm. constant reminders all the time of you don't belong here for whatever reason, just like Chucky and Will experience. A lot of self-worth issues developing from that. So there's there's that envy and there's also that disdain because that comes with jealousy and envy, you know, where you have to convince yourself, right. oh, ugh, I don't need them. I don't like them. They look, yeah. she looks stupid in her Abercrombie shirt or Armani shirt, whatever, you know? Yeah. It's the case with the saw grapes. Sure. And it's also apparent with Lambo when he goes to the uh, facilities area looking for Will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these blue collar guys, they hate Lambo on site for no other reason than he's a professor. Yeah. Essentially. Yes. That's Boston right there. And it takes two guys from Boston to write this movie and understand that. Mm-hmm. And another big theme here is family. Or lack thereof. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the idea of the family we're born with versus the family that we create for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And Will in those three monkeys, they're family. Yes, they are. 100%. And I, I totally get this. Family isn't about blood, especially, and you know, this is backed up by any number of statistics and police reports. It's blood that often treats us the worst. Yeah, that's true. Because they think they have a right to, or because they think they can get away with it. And they so often do, because laws, at least in the US, are, are awful. You know, if you mm-hmm. assault, if you assault a stranger on the street, you beat the shit out of them, you're going to jail. If you beat the shit out of your kid, you get to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. If you beat the shit out of your spouse, maybe even less. Right. So I do give Will tremendous credit, actually, for creating any family at all. But the fact that it's not labeled as family, it's just a couple of guys hanging out, is probably the reason why he is okay with it. Yeah, but they all know what they are. It doesn't have to be said. Mm-hmm. And I understand that, you know, like... My best friend, she is my sister. Her husband is my brother-in-law. Those two kids are my niece and nephew. And Mm -hmm. we don't have to say it. It's just there. Right. And now I'm probably going to cry again. Because I think the most beautifully written part of this movie is everything about Sean's marriage. Yeah, you can feel the love in that marriage, even though we've never met his wife. Yeah. She doesn't even have a name in this in this movie. It just exudes from him. It radiates outward, even as she's gone mm-hmm. two years and he loves her as much now as he ever did. Mm-hmm. But he sees her for everything that she was. He has 20-20 vision on that. Right. Yeah. He isn't romanticizing it. No, no. That's what makes it so beautiful. And I just... I was dying laughing, of course, just like Will does too. And I have to wonder, did he know Robin Williams was going to say that? Because it was so genuine when he talked about Mm -hmm. his wife farting herself awake. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, that got me because I was sitting in the living room watching this, looking down at our golden retriever who often farts himself awake. (laughs) Yes, I have heard of these noxious fumes. Yes, they've gotten better. The fumes have gotten better, but the farts are still there. Okay, good. 
this is what intimacy is all about, is seeing people's flaws, but loving them anyway, embracing them for it. Yeah. And that is something that is difficult for Will to accept and like it does not compute for him. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine how dull my life would be without my husband. Mm-hmm. And and vice versa. You know, the way there's something so liberating about just being free to be completely yourself around another person in every moment, to make an ass out of yourself, to be gross, to say whatever comes to mind, and knowing that they're going to laugh with you or at you. It doesn't matter. (laughs) And just being able to make fun of each other. And sometimes the burn is so good, you have to respect it. (laughs) Like a couple of weeks ago, I was browsing Amazon for some stuff for um, our vacation next month. And I said to my husband, I said, oh, Copper Tone now makes an SPF 100 spray. Awesome. And he goes, oh, yeah? Is there a picture of you on it? (laughs) And I just looked at him and I just laughed. I said, nice. That was good. I got nothing. You're you're right. (laughs) It's the beauty of this relationship. Just like his relationship with, with Lambo, you can feel the history of Sean. And his wife, the good times, the bad Mm -hmm. times, the sad times, all of it. And I understand his grief even more because of that, because that was it for him. That's it. And, you know, this is a conversation I think most couples have, at least healthy couples anyway. My husband and I have both said to each other that if anything happened to the other, that's it. We're we're done. Mm -hmm. And we're only 34 and 35. Yeah. I, I really do understand Sean's life. And that's another reason why I give Damon most of the credit on Sean's portion of the screenplay, because he's the one with the successful marriage, 17 years and three kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ben Affleck, I mean, we know. <laughs> you can't use that name for everyone. That was a little different than my name for Ezra Miller. I see. Okay. That was, that was a frustrated sigh. Like, oh, Ezra Miller is, ugh. there's a difference. I see. You see, it's, okay. it's subtle, but it's there. It's all in the subtleties. <laughs> I see. <laughs> She's inventing a new language. And with all of these stories, Sean is showing Will that you cannot hide in a relationship. This movie is such a wonderful endorsement of healthy, long-term relationships, whether you're married or not. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Sean does recognize that the way he's living is not entirely healthy. Yeah. It's one thing to grieve. It's another to stagnate. Yes. And he's, he essentially put his life on pause and left it there. Yeah. He recognizes that Will was right about him and knows it's time for a change. And I just, I love the way this is all wrapped up so much. And Williams and Skarsgård are so good in this final scene together with Lambo realizing what an asshole and what an idiot he's been. And you see the love they have for each other 
uh, Sean and Jerry come to the forefront and you can feel their history too. Like these guys, they're family too. They are. And there's certainly been a rift in the past, but it can't be the same. Yeah, it's, it's different. Mm-hmm. It, it has to be. Relationships progress. Right. And if they weren't family, they wouldn't be here. They wouldn't still be talking to each other. True. And I think this is one of the great endings in movies, too. They could have really fucked this up. Yeah. A bad ending could have really ruined the movie. Yeah. Instead, we get something that's totally open-ended. Yeah, it is. Everyone's going off to do their own thing, but there's a sense of hope. Yes. At the end of it, which I really like in this movie. And Sean's final line here was improvised by Robin Williams. I love it. Son of a bitch stole my line. Yeah. (laughs) And this may be unpopular. I don't know. It's because... In the long run, I don't want Will and Skylar to be together. Why? They're too young. Especially Will. Mm -hmm. He needs to do some living. He needs to experience the world, make some connections. He needs to continue therapy. He's got a lot of growing up to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And Skylar needs to go be a doctor. Yes, she absolutely does. If she didn't, I would slap her. But... Him going to California, presumably, to be with her is a huge step for him, first, admitting that he wants to be with her. Absolutely. And secondly, if the fact that he gets out of his comfort zone and he's trying this new thing, their relationship would evolve. And we don't know whether they would evolve together or they would evolve apart. Yeah. I'm good with them being together at first for a little while, her forgiving him. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm good with all mm-hmm. of that. But I want them to evolve in a healthy way. And if that, hey, if that ends up being they are right for each other, they are right together, then great. But yeah, maybe some travel, a little time apart wouldn't be the worst thing while they're going through it. They're just, they're so young. And as somebody who made a big mistake so young, Mm -hmm. I will always just say to people, live for a little bit. Live for a while. Yes. Yeah. Take a moment. Breathe. You don't have a running clock. And that's the thing that we see so much with people in their 20s who they're running against this clock of, oh, I should be this at that age. And at that age, I should have hit this milestone and that milestone. And I say that coming from, I did that. I wanted to do that. And I kept moving those goalposts for myself and I kept failing and hating myself for it. So, It's just a byproduct of our society and the way we've been conditioned that we need to have our lives figured out in our early 20s and everything should be set. And after that, it's just smooth sailing. But that's not how life works. No, it is not. Yeah. Yeah. And I was on a ticking clock, too, thinking, well, I better lock this shit down and figure it out before I get sick again. Mm -hmm. Because that could be any minute. All right. So going back to our roots. Amy, out of six, how many Infinity Stones do you give Goodwill Hunting? Okay, we shall use one of (laughs) Sylvie's daggers that I will borrow from her Funko and uh, cut one of the Infinity Stones in half. For me? Thank you. Um, I give this movie a five and a half. Now that we're doing halfsies, I will also give it five and a half out of six stones because on principle, 
I will never give a Boston movie six out of six stones. Nor a movie that stars both Afflecks. I just can't. I cannot do it. (laughs) Well, that's not the reason for me. But for me, it's just Casey Affleck is just so fucking annoying in this movie. That's the only reason. He's supposed to be. That's his job. And he does it very well. I, I know. And he does it very well. Yes, I agree. That's the reason why I have to take off the half. It's just too much for me. I can't deal. All right. So we've got a few housekeeping updates for you. So last week, everybody, we introduced our new program that we are continuing here at the Madams to keep my blood pressure where it is. <laughs> yes. It is the FAP program. Yes, yes. Not what you're thinking, everybody, and what Amy just absolutely <laughs> loves about this acronym. No. Oh, I so love it. This is the <laughs> podcaster, aka Krista, heart attack prevention program. Right. P-H-A-P. Yeah. So the gist of it is, guys, social media has been really glitchy lately, Twitter in particular. And mm-hmm. in case something goes very wrong, and we lose all our followers and everything on social media. We don't want to lose you guys. So the link is in the show notes. Sign up for the email list so we can keep in touch. If, you know, Armageddon happens. Yeah. Email is forever, guys. I'm still getting emails from shit I signed up for 14 years ago that I don't even remember. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully you remember us. Yes, I have somehow managed to uh, dodge my college alumni association, though. That's pretty nice. <laughs> no asking me for money. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, on our Patreon feed. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we promise we're not going to spam you guys. We just want to be able to keep in touch. So please join us in a FAP. She's never going to stop. <laughs> no, I'm not. Moving on. <laughs> We want to give a huge shout out over to the boys at Tabletop Journeys podcast. Yeah, these guys, Josh, Limonika, and Glenn are just amazing. If you guys are into D&D in any way, you should listen to them. These guys have the combined knowledge of like a century of D&D, I think. They really do. And they have some other episodes. Uh, is an absolute treasure trove of comic book knowledge as well. And he has been a huge help to me as I get ready for uh, my NWSA presentation. And Josh Mm -hmm. has been an incredible ally also in helping me get there. So especially for the ladies listening, you can listen to Tabletop Journeys and know you're supporting the good guys. Yeah, no Cheeto-stained white guys there. Josh may in fact eat Cheetos. That is entirely possible. (laughs) Glenn too. True. But they're clean about it. They wash their hands. (laughs) So yeah, on top of the podcast, they have a new book uh, published recently, and they also have a Kickstarter campaign going on. So check them out on Twitter. Yeah, and they're really creative and amazing with these subclasses and stuff like that. So if you're interested... Go for it. Back them. You will not regret it. Yeah. Links in the show notes. And you can also find the link to my GoFundMe campaign for the uh, National Women's Studies Association annual conference. As of our recording today, on August 16th, we have already raised 30% of my fundraising goal. Thank you so much, everyone. Yeah, you guys are amazing. Yes. Thank you. 
So if you have not yet donated and you would like to, you can find the link in the show notes. And if you can't right now, then please just share it uh, on your social media platforms, please. And on Patreon this month. So this episode comes out on September 5th. On September 6th, our $5 patrons will get our Remembering Robin Williams episode. That is the first installment of what we are calling the Gump Files. Indeed. These episodes are like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. I can't do the gump. I can't do it without offending large swaths of people. (laughs) (laughs) And don't forget, for our $10 patrons, we have our special Tea with the Madams episode releasing next week, September 13th. Well, as is with the world right now, the Ezra Miller saga continues. Yes, we will also have a little discussion about a recent quote-unquote production of Hamilton. And surprisingly enough, Fidel Castro. Yeah, that's not a thing you would think would go together, Hamilton and Fidel Castro. No, never, but Hollywood is making it so. (laughs) Oh my God, I'm imagining Fidel Castro singing on a stage right now. Well, to be clear, there is no connection between Hamilton and Fidel Castro. The connection is talking about both separate things within this episode. Yes. Let's not get Lin-Manuel Miranda in any kind of trouble. <laughs> He's too good for this world. Or any ideas, maybe. Is that your way of saying you think Lin-Manuel Miranda is going to write a musical about Castro? Or about the Cold War? I can't imagine how anyone could make that into song and dance, but if anybody could, it's Lin. He would. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Thanks so much for joining us at the movies today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Mamie. Let us know what you think about Goodwill Hunting on Twitter and Instagram at The Madam's Pod and follow us there to get a hint for our next episode. And visit our website, themadamspod.com, where Infinity Stones will always be a girl's best friend. What is the normal SPF 14, right? Or 15, right? That's the number? I mean, most normal? people can... You could get away with SPF 15 or SPF 30. Because that's what like I hear every now and then, I think. No, I'm using I don't use I don't I don't use. So that tells you something. I'm I use SPF 100 and I'm timing that bitch in Florida. 80 minutes. (laughs) Stopwatch. Here we go.